0: Good afternoon and welcome to our monthly special edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on Achieve Radio. I'm Ben and this is Return to Runnelson 6, the 6th in our historic radio series making the 30th anniversary year of the dramatic UFO events that took place at Renosham Forest in the adjacent NATO air bases in Suffolk, England in December
1: 1980. And good afternoon everyone, this is Paul Eno uh, these, uh, these events forever changed the lives of the brave men who endured them, and among other things today, uh, we're going to look at the human cost of the Rendlesham events along with other aspects of it. And
0: so anchoring our panel today is our good friend Stan T. Friedman, renowned UFO researcher,
1: author, and speaker well known as the grandfather of ufology I hope he doesn't resent that uh i wouldn't be want to be called the grandfather of anything at this point except your kids yeah. if you ever have any also on the panel today are eyewitnesses to the incident former u.s air force personnel uh colonel retired charles halt and we are hoping uh we're having a little trouble getting in touch with sergeant uh retired james peniston and former airman first class leader sergeant john burroughs uh but we uh, had to say, oh, no, they're on. Okay, we're all set. And we hope to hear later on from a surprise guest, uh, Detective Constable Gary Hesseltine, an expert on police UFO sightings in the UK. All right, our call in numbers today are 888 335 7374, both for the US
0: and Canada. In the UK, the number is 203 318
1: 0688. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal, gentlemen okay i guess we're all on um we got a little interference here but uh again we have uh, colonel uh, halt with us uh chuck uh you're with us oh yeah okay very good uh john <laughs> Burrows, are you with us yeah i'm here okay very good john and jim penniston
2: i'm here too
1: very good sound good gentlemen and uh the anchor for our panel today stan t friedman and stan uh take it away
0: so- you know, I've celebrated the 60th anniversary of Roswell, the 50th anniversary of Roswell, the 50th anniversary of the Flatwoods Monster case, <laughs> and now the 30th anniversary of the uh, Rendlesham Forest case. So uh, anniversaries seem to be a thing. Uh, incidentally, I am a great-grandfather, so I don't mean mine being called the grandfather of the <laughs> <Very good. laughs> But... Uh, I I want to look at things from the larger picture of the human cost of uh, going public with uh, a UFO-related experience. And, uh, uh, Colonel Holt, I think you will remember we did a show together in England in 1997. I remember it very well. It
3: was kind of ambushed, wasn't I?
0: Well, a little bit, but not by me. (laughs) Oh, not by you, not at all. I appreciate your support. The, uh, if you may remember, they, they took a poll of the audience afterward, or toward the end of it, and it was amazing how high the percentage was of people who were UFO believers, if you want to call them that. And the point I wanted to make, because I run into this all the time, I've given 700 lectures, and after most of them at the end, I ask how many people here believe they've seen what I would consider to be a flying saucer. I defined my terms earlier in the program, and the hands go up very hesitantly. I'll make a joke, you know, we didn't let the CIA in, it's okay, you can admit it. And I point and count. When I start off, the hands go up very reluctantly. Each pro- witness thinks he's the only one. And as I move across the hall, by the time I get to the other side, the hands go up vigorously. Like, oh, I'm not the only one, it's Okay. Typically, it's 10% of the people in my audiences. This is all kinds of places, all over the world kind of thing. And then I ask, how many of you reported what you saw? And 90% of the hands go down. Now, if there are any left, I will ask how many of you were in the military at the time. And if there's still any left, I'll say, "I want to tell us about it? And, you know, I sort of trapped the person uh, unexpectedly on his part. He's being honest. He's, you know, he's heard me lecture. What the heck? I had one guy say, they took my pictures. And dead silence. And I said, well, I don't want your name. You don't need to stand up. I'd like to hear the rest of the story. Well, everybody claps. So he knew he had a responsive audience. And. Uh he told the story of flying a four-engine Air Force plane uh, out over the Pacific, plane ahead, radios back, saucer heading your way. They had gun cameras. They took pictures. They called the base to which they're going. Uh, tell them because the film doesn't get handled by the crew on the plane. And many people think, you know, the pilots take the film to the drugstore. Well, they don't. They don't have access to that. <laughs> and uh, they report uh, that they've got film and they... Land, the film gets taken, they get debriefed and told never to say anything. Now, uh, he was one of the people who spoke up. I had another guy who said, I can't, they told me not to say anything. This was in front of 1,300 people in Texas. Great line, I might add. But when I talk to people at my table signing books and stuff, they got to tell me about their case. I mean, they're... They know I'm not going to laugh. They know I'm going to be responsive. So they'll tell me their story, then I'll ask if they reported it. Almost always it's no. Why not? They'd think I was some kind of a nut. Fear of ridicule, in other words, is the driving factor here that I'm trying to get at. And the more respectable the individual, usually, the less likely he is to report it. So what we have is a crazy situation in which the tone of the press coverage and the tone of the scientific community guys who speak out, you know, the noisy negativists, as I call them, the fossilized physicists and ancient academics, uh, they uh, have set up such a situation that people are fearful of telling about their cases. And when they do, and they do get laughed at, uh, they don't want to talk about it anymore. So that we're denied Most of the best data, and I don't think that's uh, accidental. I think there's been a a clear-cut effort to keep out the good data from the public. But I think there's a human cost here. Most people believe in flying saucers. There's a whole chapter in my book, Flying Saucers in Science, that deals with the poll results. And I put it in there and say, what's a physicist doing talking about opinion polls? But people's belief systems affect how they behave, whether the beliefs are right or wrong is beside the point. And to prove that, I was in one class where I said, I want to find out what you really think about something, and I want effect- to you to be affected by your classmates. Please vote with your eyes closed, and your professor and I will count the votes. To make a long story short, and I was very careful while I asked the question, 80% thought most people didn't believe in flying saucers, and 80% of that group did. Their behavior, however, would be determined by their perception of how other people will respond, not by the reality of how they feel. And this isn't only uh, UFOs that we're dealing with. There are a lot of paranormal sort of things that people are afraid to admit you know, that they've had a psychic experience or whatever. So if a person goes public and gets ridiculed, and the English press is particularly, I was going to say good, but I mean bad about that, <laughs> uh, it's not so much the press as the uh, debunkers in England uh, have a field day. They get up on their high horse and say it's all baloney. And there's a, there there's several basic rules for these debunkers. The problem is the witnesses don't know this when they step forward. One is, don't bother me with the facts. My mind's made up. Two, what the public doesn't know, I'm not going to tell them. Three, if you can't attack the data, attack the people. And that's the easiest way out for the debunker. And four, do your research by proclamation investigations. Too much trouble. And I'm sure the three witnesses from Rendlesham have run into all of these People who know nothing about the situation have looked at none of the evidence, but will say, well, there's got to be another explanation than a spacecraft from elsewhere. Uh, And of course, I, as a physicist, get hit with Stan. You know they can't get here from there. I have a whole chapter in the book dealing with that, too. You can get here from there. Not on a bicycle, not on a balloon, but there are other approaches to advanced propulsion systems. So. What, I, what I'm getting at is I feel sorry for witnesses who have to put up with the debunkery, the debunkdom, the people who try to tell them they're crazy or they're looking for publicity or looking for money. And, you know, I, I had a guy say he wasn't going to talk to me. I'm only in it for the money. Why do you say that? Well, I see you on all those television programs, I said. I don't get paid for those. What do you mean you don't get paid for those? I don't get paid for them. Well, how about Larry King? He doesn't pay either. You know, cheapskate. Well, yeah, I mean, he doesn't pay for meals. He pays for my transport out there, but not for the meals. You know, I I eat on me. (laughs) But what, what I'm getting at here is that the world of trying to sort out facts from fiction sort of goes down the tubes when it comes to UFO stuff. And the noisy negativists seem to always be able to get on the air. You'll notice that Larry always has to have a debunker on, even though he doesn't know anything. You guys have run into that. Uh, so uh, I would like to make a pitch for people, A, to recognize that there's a lot of believers out there, uh, and B, to not be afraid to speak out. Truth will out eventually. As a nuclear physicist, I guarantee you, it may take a long time. <laughs> I remember with Colonel Holt. I remember when you were trying to talk about the radiation levels uh, at the site in the forest there, and there was an astronomer on there who was trying to debunk that whole thing. He didn't know anything about it, but he was sure those levels weren't significant and blah, blah, blah. Why was he entitled to an opinion? He didn't know anything. Oh, that's that's okay. a long introduction. But...
1: That's okay. Uh, any uh, comments, uh, Chuck? Or, uh...
3: I, well, I'll say one thing. I know who you're talking about, Mr. Ridpath, and he and I have gone back and forth for years, and uh, he still has the lighthouse walking through the forest and doing strange things.
1: Yeah. Well, they do that
0: all the time. Come on.
1: Yeah, he was. Uh, he's, he's one of the skeptics who was invited on the show last month when we were dealing with skeptics, and he refused to come on. So.
3: So. Well, he and I have gone head-to-head about a dozen times, and uh, I just... I just, you know, I've, I quit responding to them. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah. Closed
1: minds. Indeed. But uh, all, all of you fellows, and I'm sure Stan has seen this firsthand with all the witnesses he's dealt with, What what is it that this does to your life? It's a big question Th- that this does to your life. Are, are you ever the same again? Never mind if it goes public or not. I mean, it's, it's just having the experience. I mean questioning your beliefs? I mean, what, what, is, what does it do to you? And we, I guess we can certainly start with uh, with, with Chuck, because you were in a really unenviable uh, un- uh, position.
3: I was very fortunate, I guess, in that nobody really pushed me. Nobody really interrogated me. Nobody ever questioned me. Everybody that I knew that I worked for believed something happened and supported me, and we had no intent for this ever to go public. However, when it did, obviously, and that's a long story.
1: Yeah. Well, I've like,
3: just gone to the point where I put it on the shelf and I don't deal with it. But I can tell you, some of the others that were a little closer that may have had a more intense, that's the best way to put it, experience, they have some problems with dealing with it, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. But mm-hmm. it, uh, it also, Jim and John, please jump in here, too. Uh, I, I can imagine I, what the experiences I had, and admittedly they weren't UFO experiences, but, you know, 40 years ago with my first, you know, paranormal investigation you know, it, it, everything, and I was in the seminary at the time, everything oh. that I had been had brought up to believe was questioned, because nothing that I was seeing matched anything I had been taught. Um, I, I think we're all really very comfortable in our skepticism. I think at times skepticism can be a sort of escape from the idea that we are not in control of the world, and I think that... that uh, how did how did it hit you when you had that experience or those experiences in Brendelshin Forest, especially uh Jim and John who were so close to this object? I mean what what, uh, what did it do to you? Uh, Jim, well I'll call on you first. I don't okay. know if you're
2: Okay. Well, uh I, I agree with uh with Colonel Hall on it. Uh you know, we never had no problems with anybody on uh, in our command section or anything like that, uh questioning what we're you know, what was going on. Uh, everybody was supportive. They sent us off for a reason. Uh, we never had, you no know, could really do it that way. And like, like the Colonel says, you know, we're going to, you know, it's supposed to be uh, our names are instant, would never come to light. It wasn't supposed to. And uh, of course, that—that that is a long story. Yeah. Uh, but it is out there. And, uh, you know, uh, just to let you know, 95% of uh, those so called UFOs are explainable. And ni- about ninety nine percent of people misidentify stuff. Uh this is not the situation. The debunkers they must wanna, you know, include us in that ninety five percent of explainable phenomenon, which this is clearly not. Uh it falls in that five percent of unexplainable. I mean you now and then the other thing is they try to group the, the incident together. Uh there's two separate uh, sightings, two separate nights, um uh within you know, seventy two hours of each other. Uh, and they, they all have their own unique things that are happening, and some similar. Uh, but uh, as far as, uh, uh, you know, base support, uh, there was never a question with that uh, at the time. Uh, it uh, We did have some conflicting orders and some things that were happening that way, but it's just part of the investigative process, and it seemed normal at the time. Um, what do you think, John, on this? I mean, you uh, that's that's where I'm coming from from the initial incident.
1: John, uh, Johnny, with us? Oh it. Oh dear. Okay. Yeah. Did you did you get the question? Uh, I don't know if we're having any trouble with John here or not, John. No, we lost him. Okay, the studio's going to try and get him back. You know, after our old tricks again here. Okay, well, Stan, I didn't mean to step on your lines here, but I just, uh, I don't know, I just, it, it seems to me that, um, you know, if, if I were a member of the unit, and I have been a member of a unit, you, you kind of have a certain view of the world, you have a certain view of your duties. Maybe, maybe you go to church or synagogue every week, and you encounter something like this that is totally beyond your experience. It, it would not leave me the same.
2: Of course it does. I mean, well- But you got to keep in mind that this is not, you know, for us, it never was about, like, UFOs with ETs and stuff like that. This is a craft on our origin. We couldn't couldn't identify it. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was different, and we knew it was high-tech. And we know we've seen something probably that uh, no one else has ever seen before, and we experienced something that no one else has experienced before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we just did what we had to do out there at the time, uh, and we reported back like we were supposed to, and, uh, yeah, I mean, here we are 30 years later still talking about this incident. I mean, yes, there's there's, there's definitely, it's a life-changing event.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, uh, airplane crews, uh, commercial aircraft crews, and military airplane crews, uh, every indication I get from people involved in those is that there is no problem with the other people in the crew, or even when they go back. Uh because they're taken at face value. They, people know each other. There, there's no point in lying. It's hard to imagine in a field situation like that that guys are going to make up stories that might put people at risk if you took action on them and stuff like that. So that's not the problem so much as the outside world. Uh, and when the noisy negativists want to jump in the act... There seems to be a fear, an enormous amount of fear, on the part of two groups, at least. One, the debunkers, that they may be shown to have been wrong for all these years. And the other, I've found, is some people with a strong religious bent. I sat next to a minister on a plane flight uh, a few, well, two months ago, and got into this subject a bit, and it was clear. His world would be... Totally upset if it turned out that there was anybody else out there, and no less coming here, just being out there. Uh, He told me the Bible was the oldest book. There's nothing in there about uh, these things. And uh, this is the world of demonology. Uh, Demons out there. There's there's no beings. There's no intelligence. There's no, you know, you, you can't get here from there. Governments can't keep secrets and he's not going to change his belief system. Yeah. I did refer to the book Flying Saucers in the Bible by Dr. Barry Downing, but uh he really wasn't interested.
1: <laughs> no, no, I know the species very well as you can imagine. Uh John is back with us and John we were we were all sort of batting around the question of what this did to your personal belief system. The revelshim experience. You know, did you have a did you have to question, you know, what, what, whether you believed the ETs or not or Time travelers are just high-tech. What did this do to you as far as your own personal belief system is concerned?
4: Well, I still can't explain it. So for me, it's not my personal belief system. It's just the fact that 30 years ago, I, I still can't tell you what happened to me, what it yeah. was, where it came from, and why it was there. And and that's my biggest concern of what it is and why it was there and what, what it meant to us. And I, I don't really go that deep into whether there's something else out there or not. It's just the fact, what were we dealing with and what was going on.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Chuck just seems to win to get again, not to step on Stan's lines here, but what, what Chuck was suggesting was that there is a um, – a situation with, uh, uh, so there was a lot of support rather than ridicule uh, from your, um, your, your peers uh, and, and that sort of thing. I mean, uh, ridicule being, uh, of course, one of the great fears. So uh, was that the case? You, were, you found uh, more support than ridicule among your colleagues? Well, keep in mind, for almost two years, this was kind
3: of close-held, if you know what I mean. Yes. I did a memo because I was directed to do a memo. I cleaned up the memo. It was a very brief summary it we went to MOD. Of course, they did a good job of burying it very well. Unfortunately or fortunately, copies were made and sent to 3rd Air Force, which she later came out. And, uh, it, you know, after two years, it hit the, the fan, so to speak. But in two years, uh, yeah, I got teased about it a little bit, but uh, people knew something happened. Yeah. I had good
2: support.
1: Okay. How about, uh, how about John and, and uh, Jim? Jim?
2: well well as I tell you what uh, colonel uh, it, was, it was actually it was fortunate that uh, the second uh, night because uh, uh, with Colonel halt's uh, support it made it much easier while we' were at the uh, at the base um, uh, we were left alone with it I mean no one no one bothered us they treated it as top secret and like he said for two years it was pretty well contained um, until the, the all the news of the world and other things came out in the memo, and so otherwise, it was okay while I we was in the military. It was pretty quiet while I was in the military. I was really protected with it until 1993, uh, and I assumed it was classified until then, so it just wasn't discussed. I mean, we did keep in contact, uh, all of us, I mean, occasionally. Um, I think I talked to the Colonel Halt, and well, I believe he was the base commander in maybe Oklahoma or once in Korea, and we, we did stay in contact that way, and uh, also when he was over in Forens. I think I talked to him then, too. Uh, so we stayed in sort of contact. we just never talked about the incident. And uh, we were protected, though, uh, until we got out. And, you know, as far as the debunkers, we care less about them. It doesn't make any difference. They weren't out there. They didn't see what we seen, and they don't understand what we seen. Um, uh, John and I are having a little bit of a problem With the first night Trying to understand exactly what we've seen But uh, we're doing much better with it And um, of course uh, uh, We were hoping that uh, When we go back out there in the 28th That uh, maybe we'll get some total recall out of it And uh, remember things that we hadn't remembered You know, before
1: mm-hmm. Okay Alright, Stan uh, I'm sorry uh, for hogging the show right. But uh, go ahead well, okay.
0: there's a, there's a, a situation here that um, w- we need to recognize that the reality of UFOs, for whatever they might be, I like the term flying saucer just because all flying saucers are UFOs. Very few UFOs are flying saucers. Mm. And I'm interested in flying saucers, not UFOs. And the the kicker here is that I, I bring to this, this table a, a peculiar background. We talk about 5% can't be explained. Well, fewer than 1% of the isotopes around are fissionable. If you want to build a nuclear reactor, you use the one that is. You don't care about the ones that aren't. Uh, you know, a basketball coach will tell you fewer than 5% of the people by a lot are 7 feet tall. He said, don't tell me about the midgets. Give me one 7-footer. That'll do it. Uh <laughs> So, and, and chemicals, we know that most uh, chemicals will not cure a disease. Uh, most of them will kill you, as a matter of fact. But, uh, you know, nobody would say, well, I've been checking on these uh, compounds for uh, activity against cancer, and I guess there isn't one, only 5% of the ones I checked worked. You say, I got cancer, give me the one that works. I don't care about the ones that don't. So it, it's hard to get the, the debunkers to recognize that they're using false reasoning, because most sightings can be explained, all can be explained. And as part of that, another part of the false reasoning, you'll hear people say, and it applies in this case, well, eyewitness testimony, that's only anecdotal evidence. The only reason we can explain that other 95% is eyewitness testimony. Uh, somebody described a bright light in the sky at night in a certain direction at a certain time, a certain angle above the horizon. Hey, that was Venus. How do we know it was Venus? Because the guy was a good observer. He didn't know it was Venus, but that's beside the point. So you can't have it both ways. Well, people are only good observers when we can explain what they saw. If we can't explain, they're poor observers. That makes no sense. You know, and and so uh, it's a point of view, a, a way to look at things. Uh, It is totally nonsensical to say that because most sightings can be explained, all can be. That's not how the real world works. And so uh, I'm glad these guys have been willing to stand up. Uh, I haven't had a sighting, so I don't need to worry about that. But I will tell you something else. In the course of over 700 lectures, always with a question and answer period at the end, I've only had 11 hecklers, and two of them were drunk. (laughs) And I'm told that you'll get more than that if you talk about sports, religion, politics. And remember, I'm not an apologist-ufologist. I come on very strong. I'm not a closet-ufologist. I tell it like it is. And so I find that audiences are responsive. Uh, I've had people interrupt a couple of times, and somebody in the audience says, Hey, we came here to hear Mr. Friedman. And if you could see the look on the guy's face it would interrupt interrupted, thought everybody was on his side, whoops, never said another word, you know. So I've been out there, and I certainly don't feel that I'm a masochist doing what I do uh, in order to be heaped on with uh, ridicule and difficulty and so forth. I've talked to a lot of professional audiences, Sections of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, and the American Nuclear Society, and the American Institute of Electrical Electronic Engineers, and these guys are great audiences. They ask very sensible questions, and I, I judge by the question and answer period because it's it's a free for all. You don't need to submit a written question or anything like that, and people are bold enough to state their views, and so. Uh, I I say all this just to encourage other people. If there are people listening to us who know something about a very important case, we'd like to hear about it. They can go to my website at uh, www.stantonfriedman.com. It tells you how to reach me. Uh, I don't give out my number on the radio because uh, (laughs) I only got one phone. And I won't be able to talk on it, you know. The calls come in. I tried that once, I won't do that again. Mm. But what I'm saying is that I am grateful to these guys for being willing to speak out and want to tell anybody else who has had a sighting that might be interested in speaking out, it's okay, it's all right you will be responded to sensibly. The debunkers are out there, but, hey, they may disagree with you about who the best baseball team is or soccer team or whatever. Who cares? doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But UFOs are something. If any of these things are intelligently controlled extraterrestrial spacecraft, as I believe they are, That's uh, a mind changer. That's a society changer that has all kinds of implications for our planet and for us. And one thing that I would like everybody to try, try to look at our society as others would see us. And I think they would summarize us... And you'll pardon me, Colonel Holt, for saying this, but they will summarize us us as a primitive society whose major activity is tribal warfare. And the younger generation doesn't remember that in World War II we killed 50 million of our own kind. We destroyed 1,700 cities. So you might think about how others coming here would think about us. We're not the nice guys in the world, you know? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Uh, And so that that may be one of the reasons for coming here, to quarantine us. If you were an alien, I've asked this question often, if you were an alien, would you want us out there? (laughs) Almost invariably, the answer is no.
1: (laughs) Mm. Well, that's so true. Uh, now, I have one or two more questions in this vein, and then we can maybe move in another direction, if it's okay with you, Stan, uh, with sure. a question for you that came in from a listener in England. Uh, how many of you of the witnesses were married at the time of this incident? Uh, Chuck? I was. Okay. Uh, John? No, nope, single. Okay, Jim? No, I was married. Okay. How did your wives react? Sometimes... Uh, Witnesses can be courageous, and things that are, that occur can have more of an effect on their families than on them in these these situations. How, how did your spouses react to your experience?
2: Well, it was not good.
1: Okay, Do, can you talk about that?
2: Well, no, I mean it was like we, you know, we we came back uh, and uh, you know that morning, and Jesus, uh, you know, we had, we had a hell of a night, you know, and we, yeah. you know, we we're telling her what happened and oh, my God. She started laughing. I went, okay. I said, that's good enough for me. I said, I'm not going to tell you any more about it. Well, okay.
1: it <laughs> I never did. I was in my wife sometime. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, how about uh, Chuck? How did your wife respond? Well, she was
3: supportive. She believed that, you know, something yeah. happened. Okay. I, in fact, I took her out the following day and took uh, my boss then and his family out, and we all looked at the site, and everybody, you know, hmm, gosh, mm, mm. that's impressive.
1: Okay. All right. Well, okay. Well, apparently, uh, you know, the human cost has been, uh, has been there, but it certainly has not overwhelmed you and certainly not overwhelmed your courage. Well, let's move on then to what, unless someone has another point on that matter. Uh, if anyone does, please now's the time to say it because I'm going to move on. Um uh, anyway, we got uh, a question here. This is from Russell McNair in Crofton, Yorkshire, UK. And, uh, Russell writes, many thanks for addressing uh, some previous questions. I guess he's written into previous shows. Uh, Does Stan feel there was a connection between the Bentwaters incidents and the cash Landrum case in Texas during the same time period with its significant human cost?
0: Well, it's a very different case in the sense that just a few people were involved, two women and a young lad, uh, and there were injuries caused to those people. And there, were, again, was a military cover-up angle, if you will. Uh, I've talked to John Schusler, who's an aerospace engineer who thoroughly investigated that case. And people kept asking me, Stan, do you think it was a nuclear-powered airplane? Because I worked on aircraft nuclear propulsion systems back in the 50s, late 50s, at uh, General Electric. But we never flew one. And I tell people I don't think so. Uh because uh, it flew off over the out over the Gulf. There were helicopters there, and the military, uh, how shall I put this, uh, lied about the helicopters. Uh, uh, you know, we didn't have any helicopters there. Who else has got a whole bunch of uh, helicopters? They didn't want to be sued, as somebody tried to, for the damage done to the people. But I don't see a direct connection other than it seems to me that we have to recognize that the planet is under surveillance. Planet. Not the country. Not this continent or that continent. The planet. And there are apparently different groups doing their thing. You know, I like to say they're graduate students doing their thesis work on the development of a primitive society. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and there's plenty of room, plenty of room for PhD theses about that.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: But... um there, there, what people don 't seem to realize oftentimes is that there are an awful lot of sightings going on last month. Newfound had over six hundred reports, uh, mostly from uh, North America, of course. Now, if we say that only ten percent of the reports you know that people make get get reported we 're talking about a lot of stuff going on over a long period of time uh, and uh, we, we just don 't get the true picture of it people. I've had people say, "Well, how come there haven't been any sightings the last couple of years?" And I say, "Well, there've been loads of them. You just haven't heard about them. If you ask why the press hasn't covered it, how many newspapers have a knowledgeable UFO reporter? Uh, I don't know of any as a matter. Well, Billy Cox down in Florida has a column. He's one guy, and George Knapp in uh, Las Vegas writes articles for the Las Vegas paper." And he's extremely knowledgeable, so is Billy. But aside from that, you know, of anybody, I mean, can you imagine the coverage of a baseball game by somebody who'd never seen a baseball game would be? You know? mm. It's pretty weird. Yeah. It's a crazy game. So the, the kicker here is to get better coverage. And I've often said if, some media group, Washington Post, New York Times, whatever, Fox News, God forbid, would uh, spend the effort, a tenth of the effort that was spent on blowing the lid off the political Watergate, on the co- uh, cosmic Watergate, it would take less than six months. Because the data is there. And let me just quote from a document that uh, another, this is from a general, Air Force General Carol Bolander, was asked in 1969. To, uh, try to figure out a plan. What should we do about Project Blue Book? Because the University of Colorado study, which was completed earlier that year, had recommended that Project Blue Book, ostensibly the only government group concerned with UFO investigations, should be canceled. Now, uh, the General, Lowlander, had had nothing to do with UFOs. He'd been working on a lunar excursion module. We landed on the moon in July. As he put it to me when I talked to him years later, uh, no more 12-hour days, thank goodness. Yes. Uh, he wrote this memo, which resulted in the closure of Project Blue Book, with this, this statement as part of the memo. He said, reports of UFOs which could affect national security are made in accordance with Joint Army-Navy Air Force publication, JNAP-146, or Air Force Manual 55-11, and are not part of the Blue Book system. And two paragraphs later, he says, if we close Project Blue Book, the public won't have a place to report you. Have However, as previously noted, reports which could affect, which affect national security would continue to be investigated using the regulations established for that purpose. Now, I located him many years later and said, "It sound, I told him, I said, look, it sounds like you're talking about two separate reporting systems. He said, yes. And the example I, I've used to people, if a saucer goes down the runway at a strategic air command base where nuclear weapons are stored, that's a national security problem. If the group of us were to go outside and watch a UFO fly over... Big deal. Happens all the time, all over the place. That's not a national security problem. The key thing is the Air Force has consistently said for 40 years that they are no longer investigating UFO reports. This memo made clear that they would be and are investigating, but only those which could affect national security. Yeah. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying the public's been lied to.
1: Oh indeed, Stan. I'm going to interrupt here for a minute with apologies. We have uh, Gary Heseltine on the line from the UK. Oh, good. And we also have a couple of uh, email questions that have come in. Uh, Gary, are you with us? Yes, I'm
5: with you. Nice to be
1: there. Well, nice to have you back on the show again so soon. Um, so, what uh, what is your what do you have for us today? Sorry, could you repeat that? So what do you have for us today?
5: Well, I I just want to be uh, a part of the program, because I think it's vitally important that we discuss this program, discuss Rendlesham, and we discuss the nuclear factor uh, that is really, that I believe, is at the heart of this uh, case. I believe UFOs went there to make a nuclear inspection, Uh, and this cannot be done down as it is done regularly in the press this is uh, one of the best cases you could ever ever have, because you have military witnesses who are high caliber, you know, and on Holt's night, they go out for four and a half hours, you know, nobody can ever say that this is a lighthouse, it's ridiculous, it was ridiculous when it happened, Um, but still we have to fight the media who are still bringing this up in every documentary that's ever made. And so any program that devotes time... Wearing this problem to a wide audience
1: has to be good. Okay. Well, that leads right into the question from James in Manchester, UK. And James writes, uh, hi there, great show, guys. I'd like to ask Colonel Halt, why do many of the testimonies regarding the third night differ so much? And I believe the third night has to do with possible nuclear rod. so, um, Chuck, if you want to take that, we can uh, start a discussion.
3: Well... I have to assume she's talking about the the comments made by Larry Warren. That's okay. something I can think of because the parties that were with me have said the same thing. The five of us that were together, uh, although one or two of them don't want to talk, but the uh, you know the two years when everything was quiet, so to speak, and you know it hadn't gone public, we all agreed and it's the same thing. Uh, then somebody pops up, and keep in mind that. Uh, I've had numerous discussions with that other party over the years. He claims there was a different site, a different place, all kinds of strange things. Uh, that the, Our avionics shop provided electronic components to repair the craft. The little green men met with uh, Gordon Williams, who adamantly denies that, and I agree 100% with that. He was not involved. Yeah. Uh, he was meddled with, and that's the only thing I can say, and I'd rather not say any more in the air.
1: Okay. All right, well, there we are. Okay, well, James, I don't know if that answers your question, but there we are. Uh, another question, and because any, anyone else like to uh, comment on the uh, uh, on that question? Uh, wh- you know, do you have your own points of view on why the third night's uh, renditions seem to to disagree or, or to vary? I uh,
5: I'd like to say something,
1: if I may. Certainly, Gary um, hasselton for,
5: for, for me. Um, Larry Warren is, is, is held up as someone whose account doesn't fit with other people. But there are other airmen who supported him. It's controversial. Uh, and what we now get to is, is what, um, in collaboration with Colonel Holt, and what he's always said is that he believes that some of the men were messed with and that is the interrogation factor, and uh, uh, in my collaboration with him over the last three years, it's clear to me, and from reading all the material, that this is a classic disinformation exercise to try to spoil the activities of the first, uh, well, Tennyson and Burroughs night and Holt and his team out. It's something that needed to be done to reduce the impact factor of those quality sighting reports from impeccable sources. So this is where, to me, that's why you have uh, this uh, scenario. Larry Warren was, I suspect, picked up from his outer post, perimeter post. I suspect he was taken there. to to a uh, meeting area where there were 25, 30 other airmen there, waiting for further. Holt and his team were already out in the forest. It is possible that he was there and saw some things. But I suspect, and I've talked with Larry on many occasions, uh, that he, and he accepts that his mind was messed with, uh, not just his, Adrian Bustinza was interrogated, Against his will, and that's a, a totally different facet of the case. But, nevertheless, the reason why I think it was done, I think they've had implanted memories to try to reduce the impact of those classic nights with Penniston and Burroughs and Holt and his men.
1: Okay. Uh, just as an aside here, I failed to introduce Gary. Gary is a a, a British uh, police official, active uh, in active service, and Gary also has a tremendous uh, database of police sightings of UFOs. And most importantly, for the purposes of this show, he is working with uh, Charles Halt on, on a new film, as I understand it. If I'm wrong, correct me. But I believe that's uh, that's in process now. So uh, certainly, uh, Gary has has a lot to say about this issue and is uh, well informed about it. Anyone else have any comments on on that issue of the third night?
0: Yeah, one one thing that uh, I've seen other examples of noisy negativism uh... whatever you want to call it when it involves military i'm thinking about roswell in particular uh... i just read a column that was written a couple years ago by a phd who actually worked at the white house at one time and other things and he got just about everything wrong about the case and my feeling is that uh... he was out to debunk uh, to create disbelief if you will to muddy the waters to play down the significance of the case uh for example saying that well the testimony is that all the wreckage would fit in a the trunk of a car nobody ever said that <laughs> what what uh, major marcel brought back fit in his trunk where else was he going to put it but the newspaper article even said 200 meters in diameter, the area where this stuff was. That's not going to in somebody's car, trunk. And if that's all there was made brought in by the rancher, uh, Mac Brazel, then there would have been no reason at all for Major Marcel and Colonel, later Colonel Cabot, to go out there. So where does this guy get off saying that? Also in trying to identify it with the mogul balloon anybody who studies mogul balloons knows that the balloons at that time were straight normal, standard neoprene balloons uh, and they had twenty to twenty five of them nobody's ever talked about twenty five balloons and how would that fit in the trunk of a car you know with all the other junk that went with them so why would a guy make a real effort to debunk a case like that? Uh, I mean, he did have a government connection and so forth. And, uh, you know, so I, I'm not a psychiatrist. I won't try to delve into personal uh, intentions. But uh, there's no question that there have been other cases where there are attacks on military-related cases by people apparently for the sole purpose of dumbing them down, making them sound stupid, making them sound like there was nothing special here, uh, you know. And one, one thing I should mention too is that I find that many people don't seem to be how aware of how easy it is for things to be covered up. Uh, the steady people, for example,
1: when they get a
0: signal they're gonna tell everybody and the government can't keep secrets after all. Look what they did with FEMA and Katrina. They botched it up. How could they keep secrets? You know, if he had this is from the head of the set one of the heads of the SETI program, Dr. Seth Shostak. And uh you know, I have to say, why not talk about the CIA, the NSA, the NRO? They can keep secrets as we know very well. Uh, so there's an attempt to misdirect, to sow the area with phoniness, to make it less important than it really is. And uh, everybody seems to have his own agenda, the debunkers. are not all the same. But uh, uh, I have been faced with this kind of stuff for 43 years that I've been speaking, and uh, you see it all the time. So it would be surprising, actually, uh if there weren't attempts at disinforming, at playing down, at misrepresenting the case. Yeah. Because because if you don't, it's going to seem too important. You know, how can you ignore it? Yeah. You just say it was baloney, then, well, it's easy to ignore. We don't need to go to that delicatessen. You
1: know? <laughs> well, I hate to talk about people who aren't here, and Larry has been a big help on the show. But, you know... It is what it is. Now, before we move on to the next, listener question: Does anyone else have a comment uh, on the panel from uh, on that issue? I do. Okay, go How about ahead, Dennis.
4: Uh, John. How about yeah. this, they don't know what they're dealing with. Totally to this day.
1: Yeah. Okay.
4: They people people sit there and speculate, and that's what this is. I don't care who you are. Unless you had contact and you've been told exactly what's going on, where they're coming from, what they're doing, or whatever else is going on, how do you know for sure? And so everything that's going on right now is pure speculation, to include what happened to us. Mm -hmm. We can't answer what happened to us. We don't know what happened to us, and we're not sure what happened to us, other than what people have tried to claim like it was the lighthouse or something like that. We had an event happen (laughs) to us that we can't explain. We can't explain how what we saw did what it did, where it came from, and why it was there. And if there is a, some reason why it contacted us, you know, and I say if only that if we were picked for a reason, and why would something come back three nights in a row unless there was a reason behind it or there was something there that drew them back? okay? No one knows for sure, including to this day, probably most people that are even working with this. I mean, unless you have the straight answer, and then if you have it, what, what what are you going to do with it then? What are you going to use it for? That's the whole <laughs> key to this. Okay. What is well, uh, you Can know, anybody there,
0: there sure is, another, is there?
3: There, 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 there there. another
0: aspect to this. The, uh, the recent press conference in Washington about the uh, UFOs over uh, Minuteman missile sites and other nuclear installations, a lot of people have been involved in these cases. In Bob Hastings' book, uh, Nukes and UFOs, uh, there have been a number of military guys who had direct involvement. I mean, when, when eight or ten Minuteman missiles go from go to no-go in short order, that's a national security problem. You know, now, whether it's because they had nuclear-tipped missiles there, uh, I can't say, obviously. But they did have nuclear-tipped missiles, and it's happened in Russia, too. So this business, I mean, let's face it, this was at a base. Rendlesham had nuclear, how shall I put it, nuclear equipment around, <laughs> okay? And... uh it may be that that's of great concern. It's of great concern to me as a nuclear physicist that there's all those nuclear weapons around. It scares the heck out of me, <laughs> frankly. Uh, I think everybody should be scared about them. But, uh, uh, Reynoldsham isn't alone is, is my point. Uh, there have, there were sightings over Oak Ridge National Laboratory and Hanford Works in Los Alamos way back in 1947. These are nuclear weapons labs. Uh, so clearly there was interest. Uh, what it meant, who knows? I don't know. I haven't talked to any aliens. Uh, you know, maybe they could explain what they're concerned about.
1: Okay.
4: Yeah, but, All we right, classify, you... but here's my point. Here's what I'm trying to say. We classify them but... as extraterrestrial. We classify them as aliens. I mean, no one knows for sure what we're dealing with. That, that's the whole thing. I mean... I mean, yeah, they're looking at what we have or what we can do, but it's clear if they can come here and do that, then they can shut us down whenever they want. So what would be the purpose behind
0: it? Uh, In my book, there's a whole chapter with more than 20 reasons for coming here.
4: (laughs) Yeah, but Stan, you don't know that for sure. That's all I'm trying to say. Everyone, Oh, you're right. You're right. You got the debunkers on one side that want to rip us up and down, and most people don't want to talk about it for simply this reason. I know what my reason was. I can't explain it. I can't tell you for sure what it was, and I can't tell you what the ramifications were. And when I walked out of that field that night, the one thing I know for sure is how do I explain this? Who's going to believe me anyway? And what does it mean? And the biggest thing to me is what does it mean? Why, why would they come after? Why would they be out there in that forest? What would be the reason behind them being in that forest? And they clearly had some kind of interaction with us. Whatever that was interacted with us, okay? How it interacted is the big question and why, okay? And then if you're a news reporter, what do you do with it? Okay, there we have it, folks. We now have another interaction. What does it mean? What do we do with it? Who's the expert we go to?
0: I don't know of any. Do you?
4: <laughs> that's my other point. And that's, that's half the stumbling block right there. So what does the news really do with it? I mean, it's an interesting story. They'll do documentaries on it, and they're the highest-rated shows going. But ultimately, what is the answer? Who has
0: it? No, no there's nothing wrong with having a good mystery
1: around well as, as as there's an old saying in the paranormal in general that theres there are no such things as experts, just people with interesting ideas. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh if anyone hasn't responded to this, we're coming down at the break. We still have little, almost two minutes, so there is uh if anyone else would like to respond to this and then on the other side of the break we'll come to some more questions. But uh Jim, have we heard from you on this?
2: <laughs> I'm just listening. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> You
1: know what? I actually agree with John. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's actually, uh, to give you a a preview at the end of the show, (laughs) this is the ultimate conclusion. We we just don't know. Right. Yeah, and and that that seems to be what it is. Okay, well, I'm going to state, we're coming on to to a break, but I'm going to state the next question. Uh, because it's from Ronnie Dugdale, whom I hope you all will know or get to know. He's local to Rendlesham. And he's going to help us put together a, a sort of very last show uh, for next uh, next month when you fellows are there for the, the reunion. And uh, Ronnie Dugdale is his name from Great Yarmouth, England. And uh, it says, hi, Paul and Ben. Can you please ask Chuck Halt if he believes the craft in Rendlesham Forest was E.T.? And I'm going to stop there. I'll finish the question later because we're – we're on our queue here, and we're going to be uh, taking a break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and ben Eno, our monthly special on AchieveRadio.com, and we are doing our Rendlesham, return to Rendlesham, show number six, our 14th hour on the air on this case. And uh, you can imagine the frustration of some people when we, we, the people just don't come out and say this is what it was because we just don't know. But anyway, stay with us. Our second hour is coming up, and we're uh, we have our, our good friends uh, Stan Friedman hosting our, our anchor our panel uh, with uh, Chuck Halt, Jim Penniston, John Burroughs, and our good friend Gary Heseltine as well. So stay with us. We'll be right back. <laughs> Come! Hi folks, this is Paul Eno, co-host of Behind the Paranormal here on Achieve Radio. We're very pleased to have as our sponsor New River Press and Barking Cat Books, publishers of some of the most unusual New Age titles on the market today. Along with four books by Moi, New River Press offers the Blockbuster on Animal Communication, Hear All Creatures, The Journey of an Animal Communicator by Karen Anderson, Shadows on My Shift, Real Life Stories of a Psychic EMT by Psychic Medium Sherry Lee Devereaux, Achieve Radio Talk Show host of Opening Your Intuitive Eyes. And in a true story that will break your heart with its beauty, especially if you've ever lost a child, there's 41 Signs of Hope by Dave Kane about the ongoing love and communication between a father and a mother and their son, youngest victim of the 2003 nightclub fire in Rhode Island. Finally, from Barking Cat Books, don't miss the action adventure that spans a thousand years, Heaven's Wave, a novel of the doomsday prophecy of 2012 by D'Urline. Visit NewRiverPress.com, BarkingCatBooks.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookstore.
4: Hi, this is Dennis Jackson from Messages from Beyond. Are you searching for your twin soul? Tired of kissing so many frogs to find your prince or princess charming?
3: And this is Alice Jackson. Our book, Together Again, Twin Souls Reunite in Love and Life, is about spiritual connections and discovery. It is also about life's adventures, but mostly it's